we do tend to be on these career treadmills. What can I get? What's the next position? All of these other things. And even when we're jumping industries, you say, okay, well, this is a great opportunity for me. I'm going to be increasing maybe my status, my pay, maybe my work-life balance. But when we really get down to it, I think we need to take into account that identity angle. So identities, if we want to just define them, are these self-definitions, what we use to describe ourselves. So this can be personal characteristics. I'm hardworking. Or it can be role-related. I am a professor. Or relational. I'm also a spouse. I'm a teacher. I'm a mentor. Or when we talk about the gender angle, it can be social identities, right? But when we think about what comes with us, and this is where lingering identities comes in, it's essentially what do we carry with us when we leave one job and enter another? And how long does that last and impact us? And so when we are jumping through different career hoops, what you do want to ask is, what are these different aspects that I need to be paying attention to? I don't need to be looking at just the salary. That's going to be awesome if it's an increase. But I really need to be paying attention to, is this actually going to be a fit? Is this going to be a sustainable thing, not only for me, but for my network and for the organization? Because it's not just us who's interested in workers that aren't going to be turning over every two months, every six months, every three years. But organizations also want to make that investment in personnel who are going to stay. And it doesn't have to be a perfect fit. But to the extent that we can find these positions that at least don't violate our sense of self and what's important to us, then that's something that we do need to take into account. Welcome back to The Fix, where every week I interview thought leaders, world leaders, academics, business leaders, activists, and ordinary people who are taking action to build workplaces that work for everyone. Today, I'm also joined by my co-host, Kelly Thompson. Before we start, just a quick request. If you like our podcast, then please hit subscribe now and leave a review. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and get in touch at www.thefixpodcast.org. Happy New Year, everyone. I'm so excited to be back after the holiday break. I know that a new year often brings with it new goals and resolutions, and for a lot of us, that actually means a new job or career. In fact, the latest research finds that two-thirds of employees in the United Kingdom plan to make changes to their careers over the next 12 months. A poll of 4,000 adults in the United Kingdom commissioned by Aviva found that 64% plan to make changes to their working lives in the next year, either finding a new role or changing the hours they work or switching their careers entirely. According to the study, employees are putting reasons for leaving down to wanting a general career change as well as better pay and more flexible work arrangements. Similar studies have found a similar pattern of people wanting to leave their jobs in the United States. Making a career change is important because outside of sleep, work is really where we spend the most number of hours over our lifetime. Work plays a huge role in shaping our identities, relationships, and sense of belonging. The challenge is changing careers doesn't always work. Studies show that somewhere around half of all new hires fail in their roles because of a lack of fit. More specifically, fit is really the alignment of an employee's core values and capabilities with those of their job. So why does fit matter? Well, our identities are shaped by our workplaces. As organizations change, this in turn changes how we see ourselves. 
We spoke to Sarah Whitman, who is Assistant Professor of Management at George Mason University School of Business. Sarah's conducted some really interesting research into how work shapes our identities. In an article for Harvard Business Review, Sarah shares how, because of major shifts in the labour market, workers these days are switching organisations, functions and even industries much more frequently than past generations. The consequence of this is that workers' sense of self at work is constantly changing as well. Here Sarah shares more on this. The interesting thing for me is if you look at a strategic perspective, there's this perspective called the behavioral theory of the firm. Okay. And this is super academic nerdy, but they talk about strategy as this coordination of coalition members where workers are a coalition, managers, clients, etc. Right. And all have to receive inducement enough to cooperate. Well, what's the workers' inducement? Traditionally, it was salary. It was a take-home pay. And I think in a lot of organizations, and this would be since at least the 90s, what's happened is there's been a substitution in a lot of cases of, I can't pay you enough to stay, so I'm going to induce you via identity. You're going to develop this self-definition that is so tied to my organization. And this isn't nefarious. It's not at all. And it's many times not even intentional. But we, in our search for meaning, are spending, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, 16 hours a day at work. And so it's normal that we start to define ourselves by our workplace. So when that ends, it's devastating, especially if we don't have other roles that we can draw on that are meaningful for us. And this is the breakdown of the social structure where work becomes home and home becomes work. And so to the extent that we have thrown ourselves and our identifications into work, and that's our sense of self-esteem, self-efficacy, self-continuity, belonging, meaning, you know, all of these things, when that ends, what are we left with? And so I think the real message of lingering identity is no, 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 no. You are left with something. You may not have that role anymore, but you're still you and you can recraft yourself. You don't even have to recraft yourself totally. You just have to find someone else and someplace else that's going to work good enough. And then you're going to be able to continue to develop yourself, continue to enact this career path that you're on, even if it's discontinuous, even if it's bumpy, even if it's sometimes downwardly mobile and you can thrive that you don't need to be tied to a certain organization or job to be able to make it. Even with this suggestion that around half of all new hires fail in the first 18 months, I think most of us would agree that the vast majority of employees working in corporations do have the technical skills and competencies to perform their jobs, at least to a reasonable level. Research by Leadership IQ found that most of those early failures, they're not because of a lack of technical skills, but in fact, they're for a whole host of other reasons, which at their core kind of boil down to a lack of fit, a mismatch, whether with their manager, with the work itself, with the organisational culture. So the first thing to say is it's incumbent on organisations and their leaders to understand what attitudes and behaviours they're hiring for and to design their recruitment and assessment processes to identify and test these. You know, there's little point, isn't there, designing a kind of eat-what-you-kill individualistic assessment process if what you're really looking for is a consummate team player. And if you do that kind of thing and start off with that mismatch of expectations between employer and recruit, 
the chances are the recruit is not going to feel that they belong or they'll feel undervalued. They may become disengaged and even pessimistic about their prospects at the organisation. Ultimately, that's a story we all know where it ends. People leave. But if you're an individual making that leap to change your job, the challenge is knowing whether you're making the right decision or leaping into one of these kind of doomed mismatch situations. Sarah says that our psychological health and career fulfilment both depend on our ability to assess and execute career changes that support our sense of self. We do tend to be on these career treadmills. What can I get? What's the next position? All of these other things. And even when we're jumping industries, you say, okay, well, this is a great opportunity for me. I'm going to be increasing maybe my status, my pay, maybe my work-life balance. But when we really get down to it, I think we need to take into account that identity angle. So identities, if we want to just define them, are these self-definitions, what we use to describe ourselves. So this can be personal characteristics. I'm hardworking. Or it can be role-related. I am a professor or relational. I'm also a spouse. I'm a teacher. I'm a mentor. Or when we talk about the gender angle, it can be social identities, right? But when we think about what comes with us, and this is where lingering identities comes in, it's essentially what do we carry with us when we leave one job and enter another? And how long does that last and impact us? And so when we are jumping through different career hoops, what you do want to ask is, what are these different aspects that I need to be paying attention to? I don't need to be looking at just the salary. That's going to be awesome if it's an increase. But I really need to be paying attention to, is this actually going to be a fit? Is this going to be a sustainable thing, not only for me, but for my network and for the organization? Because it's not just us who's interested in workers that aren't going to be turning over every two months, every six months, every three years. But organizations also want to make that investment in personnel who are going to stay. And it doesn't have to be a perfect fit. But to the extent that we can find these positions that at least don't violate our sense of self and what's important to us, then that's something that we do need to take into account. Even if you stay within your organization, you need to manage your role change carefully. Research by Gartner finds that a full 49% of people promoted within their own companies are underperforming up to 18 months after those moves. The consulting firm McKinsey also reports that 27% to 46% of all executives who transition are regarded as failures or disappointments two years later, mainly because of a lack of fit. Sarah says assessing a role for fit is critical, especially if you're coming back from a career break. When you look at a job ad or an opportunity that you have through one of your networks, the question is not, does this fit me perfectly? but is this too big of a stretch or can I make it? Is it something that's going to feel completely inauthentic in all different areas? Or are there different ways that I can craft myself into making it feel a little bit more authentic? So I'll give you an example. And this speaks to when we talk about women's careers, when we talk about what's called discontinuous mobility, about people going off the career ramp. So I myself, before my PhD, was actually what we call a trailing spouse in the expatriation world. So a person who takes a break from work because their significant other has a career opportunity. And so my husband was opening his company, Sub-Saharan African Operations. And this was, you know, wow, awesome opportunity, right? But it meant that I was going to be going there and had no job. 
But what I did do was I was able to roll into a volunteer opportunity. Now, this didn't match marketing communications background. This didn't match project management experience. But when I got into it, what I realized was that this was something that was meaningful for me, that could be meaningful and meaningful for them if I were to take it on as if it fit me. So Erminia Barra has a book on act like a leader, think like a leader. And sometimes in the acting, the becoming comes. And this was the case for me because I was able to throw in my project management experience. I was able to throw in my marketing experience working on environmental and recycling projects. That's totally outside of my wheelhouse. But because I was able to stretch myself a little bit and say, oh, wait, 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 actually project management, I'm a project manager. This is sort of a project management experience then it became more meaningful. But if I would have just limited myself to, oh, I can't go outside of what's comfortable for me, then that's where you're going to get stalled. And that's where you actually end up with the negative side of lingering identities, right? So everything, almost everything can be positive or negative. And with lingering identities, it's the same. So this is where you end up with people who have changed roles, but they're kind of just stuck in the past, where they're inflexible where they're hanging on to this identity so tightly that they can't change and can't adapt. But if you hold them lightly, yeah, they can be tools actually for advancement and growth. If we don't take ourselves too seriously, if we don't take them too seriously, and if we say, what's the opportunity here? What happens when you don't have an opportunity? What happens when you're in that gap and you say, well, who am I now? And this is actually where a lot of my research comes in because it is the gap, and particularly for women, of what we call liminal spaces, right? Spaces between structural roles. And so in the space of being a trailing spouse, in my case, I did not have a professional role. That's discontinuous mobility or non-employed. In those spaces, lingering identities can actually hold you through. There's research that shows that if you're unemployed and you continue to define yourself as a worker, you are going to be more motivated to send out those resumes. You're going to be wanting and able to continue with that role of, I'm a worker. I'm going to take it as such, nine to five. I am working. My job right now is to get another job. And so you think about the situations of women where structural forces actually end up forcing them out of professional roles for a time. People who can continue to think of themselves as professionals are more able and more willing to continue those network interactions that are going to stave off the permanent unemployment or discontinuous mobility. And so it really can be a motivating factor. It can be something that helps us feel continuous, even in these times of discontinuity. Men and women experience very different career paths. Our last podcast episode looked at the range of barriers that women face in advancing at work. If you're one of our regular listeners to the podcast, then you'll know that one of the key challenges faced, not exclusively, but certainly disproportionately by women, is having to manage domestic chores, childcare and dependent care in addition to doing their job. Here Sarah shares how these challenges take a toll on women's confidence and what can be done to manage this. Pam Stone, Robin Ely, and Colleen Ammerman had a piece that came out, a study that they did on Harvard Business School graduates. And in that study, what they found was that you have a sample that is 
essentially the same across genders, men and women alike in terms of career expectations. But when the rubber hits the road, women tended to believe that they were going to have equality in caregiving roles. The reality when they found them a few years later was that they didn't. The majority of women were taking on very heavily the caregiving of their children. And these women tended to be not as successful, but more dissatisfied with their careers. And so when you think about how you craft your identity and how you're able to ride out uncertainty, especially in early motherhood, I'm thrice a mother. And so I've been there. I've done that. (laughs) They're a little bit older now. So the chaos is a little bit less. But when we balance and juggle these multiple selves, part of it is there's space still for my professional self. And how do I fight for that? So when you're even on maternity leave, yes, it's a time for bonding. It is. And it's incredibly important and vital. But The research says that there are structural issues in organizations forgetting about these very competent women, not giving them powerful roles when they return, putting them into the back office. And we talk in research about agency versus structure. Is it the person's choice or is it the organizational structure or societal structure that's imposing roles that's pushing them out? It's often a mix as with everything. But what we have to ensure is on the one hand, the agency side. So Pam Stone and Meg Lovejoy actually did a follow-up to Pam's book on opting out. They did a follow-up of these women. And they did find that a lot of these women went back to work. And it was thanks in large part to networks. And so if you're able to continue to think of yourself, yes, I'm a professional, I'm competent, I'm able, you reach out to your network, you ping them, yeah, I'm still here. I'm still interested. I'm still available. A lot of these women went back because their network remembered them, oftentimes they had to start at a lower rung. So would they have achieved much more had they not opted out? I mean, it's an empirical question and we don't have a contrast sample, but we can say that probably likely. And so in this space, reaching out to your network, continuing to say, this is who I am, really, even though it doesn't appear like that, is incredibly important. That's the agency side. So on the structural side, what we're talking about is organizations taking these people seriously and saying, just because your role doesn't say that you are this now, who are you really? And do you have the capability of coming back? And does it mean a little bit of training if it's been a while? Yes. But is that important? Absolutely. It's fascinating when you think of the comings and goings of people from organizations, and this is really the broader scope of my research, is how do people move between roles, between organizations, whether it's life roles, whether it's job roles. And when you think about how people transition out, so the lingering identities, what we said in the HBR was when you're transitioning in, pay attention to these things. But when you're transitioning out, organizations actually have a role in potentially keeping people tied to lingering identities. Now, could it be nefarious sometimes, maybe, but could it actually be incredibly useful? I mean, universities do this all the time. I work in a university. You did your degree here. You're still a member. You're an alumnus. We love you. And especially here in the U.S., it's super important for donations and for scholarships for future university students, right? 
a lot of organizations are starting to do the same thing. Big consulting firms have alumni networks and you can actually access their platform because what they say is just because you're out of our organization now doesn't mean you've stopped existing. That's the perspective of organizational behavior and career life that I would love to see. Just because you've gone from us now doesn't mean you've disappeared, doesn't mean you're dead. You are living a career. You have probably relationships. We show up on your LinkedIn. Is there value that you can bring and we can give to you some point in the future? And so when we're talking about women's careers, if we took that attitude, what we would say is organization, you need competent people. What if you just kept in touch? Yeah, if this person needs to take a break from work or if they need to downscale or if they need to go part-time or if they need to change organizations, what about pinging them? What about just checking in and saying, hey, are you ready to come back full-time? We have this position that would be really awesome for you. And not only do you get the social capital, but you get employees who are incredibly valuable and loyal because they appreciate being treated as humans. So the million dollar question then is what can we do to manage our career identity through all the changes to come? Here's Sarah share the framework that you can apply. First, the VME framework that we developed, it's value meanings and enactment of these lingering identities. So value is how important it is. Keep what's most important, but understand that not everything has to be important. Meanings, those cores, at what level can you redefine yourself without violating other things, right? If I'm a hard worker or if I'm a project manager, I can roll that into the volunteer experience. And three, enactment, who do you need to maintain contact with in order to feel like you're you? And that can be your network from your previous organization. This can be expanding strategically into new spaces, but making sure that you hold yourself together when you're feeling uncertainty and leveraging those lingering identities to do it. It is this scary, scary jump to, I haven't done all of this before. What if they know that I'm a fraud? It's incredibly scary. And women do tend to feel, perceive, or project this often more times than men. And so I think the rootedness in your lingering identities and this transition of, okay, what can I be? That actually is an excellent leveraging tool, right? If you're able to redefine yourself as good enough in these different spaces, then that helps with the confidence. I may not have done an environmental project volunteering with recycling in South Africa in a township before, but dang it, I'm a pretty good project manager. I know my marketing and communication skills have really been valuable in the past. And so these elements of this can make me feel like less of a fraud. Oftentimes it is fake it till you make it. And that's what people need confidence in. Everyone else is faking it. It's a matter of, I can do this because I just have to be good enough. Managing our work identity is important. It's always important, actually, but particularly when you're looking to change role, job or career. As well as using the VME framework, 
Sarah says there are three actions you can take to help ensure your success in a new role, a new company or even a new career path. First, understand your current work identity well enough to use it as a filtering device for available opportunities. Second, only pursue job opportunities that offer a good enough match for your work identity. And third, understand how that identity will change in your new role. Changing careers or jobs can be really difficult and often stressful. It's always a leap of faith to some degree, but to give yourself the best possible chance of a soft landing, I'd urge you to consider not just tangible benefits like salary and perks, but also really try and uncover how the opportunity will fit with and hopefully enhance your own sense of self. I really hope you all enjoyed today's episode. A quick one before you go, if you love our podcast and you want more, then hit subscribe now and leave a review. Your support means so much to us. Also, if you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, then please reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all again next week.